Bernadeschi has space here. Federico Bernadeschi squares this ball. This is Larea. Saved by Willis. Joe says no three more times, and Nashville earns its fifth clean sheet in the first seven matches of the season in a scoreless draw with Toronto. Credit to Apple TV. For the call, this is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in the respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling, who's done it on radio. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Tim, these are three points Nashville would have loved to pick up, especially with the schedule that's looming. Alas, they have to settle for their 14th scoreless draw in club history. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we we get a lot of, of guff sometimes from people who say that... Uh, that were a little overly positive a lot of the time, but it was it was really hard to find something to be positive about with Saturday night's result. It was uh, not attractive soccer, and it was not the result that Nashville SC wanted, to say the least. I, I can't remember exactly what your tweet was at halftime, but it was something like, well, that was certainly soccer. Yeah, <laughs> it was It was certainly, I think, surprising too, Tim, because we know the firepower that Toronto has. They didn't have Lorenzo Insigne. They didn't have everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. on the attacking side of things that they usually do. And yet, I, mean, I think I picked a 3-1 result. I, yeah. think I, I picked 3-2 under, in, in my preview, yeah. Yeah, I would have given maybe a two-and-a-half goal over-under for this, maybe even three. Were you surprised that it ended up being as cagey as it was? Yeah, I mean, I guess it it all depends on essentially what Bob Bradley comes out and does in that game. You expect Toronto to play a little bit more open. Uh, they did not. And, and Nashville... I think is is very willing to to allow people to to play that sort of game if if that's what's going to happen. Both teams were were looking more to to end up hitting on the counter because they didn't have a whole lot happening in the run of play, and yet neither team was obviously able to do that. And that's um, you know Nashville SC's style uh, might be a little bit more opponent dependent than some others like LAFC is going to come out Mm -hmm. and be LAFC no matter Mm -hmm. who they're playing um Philly is going to come out and be Philly Red Bulls obviously are going to come out and be Red Bulls no matter who they're playing Nashville's a little bit more flexible uh although I know they don't have the reputation for that but specifically at home they can play an open game but if the opponent is is going to make that hard on them they're going to say okay we're not we're not going to mess around we're going to make sure that we don't screw this up because that's um essentially what we do to other teams we don't want it to happen to us yeah, interesting to see Toronto play more of a possession-oriented style than than you know just absolutely balls to the wall attack uh, with Bernadeschi creating a couple chances, but really almost on the counter. Uh, even though Toronto mm-hmm. did lead lead possession, and so today in the show we're going to get into both sides of the equation, right? In the early shout, we'll talk about Nashville's mm-hmm. dominant defense, and that's unquestioned. And I think even those of you, many of you, who are frustrated with the attack yet again are happy uh, with the defense. And I'll clarify a tweet that I sent earlier this week about what that defense enables Nashville to do. But then in the mailbag, we will get into the attack. And in particular, I think many of you are going from tactical tweaks to look, it's just going to take somebody else on this team. Uh, So we're going to talk about it. Who would we pinpoint as the ideal additions to the Nashville SC attack in a perfect world, knowing we don't live in that world, but Hey, again, we called Sean Davis and we'll always call uh, (laughs) calling that shot forever outside in really interesting note from Huntsville, Tim, uh, as Huntsville went to Cincinnati and stocked its roster with senior players who weren't getting a lot of action. They earn a PK win in Cincy. We're going to discuss whether that approach was an anomaly from this team or maybe a sign of how the club is going to use that next pro squad. But it was really interesting. Some of the names that started in that contest, all that coming up. But first, Tim, of course, we start with ML Rose and boy, once again, continue to hear from people that say how, how packed it is 
and how popular it is on game days. Yeah. And, you know, we obviously uh, like to take a little bit of credit for that, but <laughs> um, it is it is a situation where people have have made MLROs their own. And it's something that, uh, you know, yes, we have a little bit of pride in, but uh, it's something that, um, you know, we're very happy that our our listeners uh, not only listen to our soccer takes, but our food takes, too. <laughs> Indeed. I think that the Belgian there is as close to the perfect burger as I have identified in society. Uh, and it's not even my favorite there. I think animal burger flavor wise just barely edges it. The Belgian is is easily my go to second choice. It's got the the gouda on there and it's a nice, of course, the savory meat, which is always fantastic, which you can also make impossible garlic aioli and onion straws. To me, the combination of crispy, of salty, of tangy within the, the juiciness of the meat. I'm not a obviously an expert food describer, as you can tell, but <laughs> man, it's that perfect combination of texture and taste that makes you feel like you're at a gourmet gastro pub and you would pay 30 bucks for that burger. But alas, Tim, you won't have to pay close to 30 bucks for that to get that quality at ML Rose. Yeah. And M ML Rose, you know, we, we talk a lot about the specific food items that we like and um, yes, all, all of them basically are pretty good, but uh, in in what is an increasingly expensive food city, ML Rose is a is a light in the, a light in the darkness. I don't know what, what the phrase is there. That um you know the, their prices are are far more reasonable than than comparable food products, and and that's something that um you know you kind of threw in at the end there, but I think it's pretty important to to point out too. And one added bonus, they go full Belgian on this. If you get the Belgian burger, they give you mayo with your fries, which is nice. I think fantastic. You also, of course, have the ketchup right next to you, so you can if, if mayo on fries sounds sounds stuff. pretty Canadian as well. So it's also right Canadian. No, see, Canadian is actually uh, they love the the malt vinegar on on the fries. Fair enough. That's that's the move. It's it's the vinegar on the fries there. I mean, it's a big country, so a lot of different <laughs> perspectives. Um, Emil Rose, the place to go. Eighth Avenue, West Nashville, uh, Capitol View, Mount Juliet. Coming in Murfreesboro, all over the place. I'm probably missing a location or two, but 8th Avenue, the one we focus on because it's the place to go on match days and away match days as well, as they are equipped to show Apple TV. So if you want to go out to the to the pub this weekend, watch the New York City match there, you can do that, and uh, they will have it there for you. All right, let's get into the early shout. Toronto, terrifically, um, you know, well-versed team in possession. It was quite a conundrum to try and get pressure on and to make sure that we didn't expose ourselves. I thought there were more of those situations in the second period that they found just as difficult with us. But all in all, it looked like both defences were well on top. And obviously for us, um, you know, creating that defining moment was, uh, was not there to be had, which was uh, frustrating and disappointing in the end. You heard it there. Frustrating and disappointing. Gary Smith describes his feelings about the failure to grab all three points at home and find that goal against the Toronto team that had just a couple of clean sheets entering the match. Tim, is it too simplistic to say that these were two points dropped rather than a point earned? Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> I think that's always a little too simplistic of a way to frame things, but there is certainly something to the the idea that if Nashville was going to play in a game that saw a winner, it was more likely to be Nashville than Toronto. So if you only get one point uh, and your your like expected points going into the match is, is closer to three than it is to zero. Yes, it is. It is definitely something that they'll come back and feel like, you know, if at the end of the season, they're 
a tiebreaker short of hosting a home playoff game like they were last year, it's going to be something <laughs> that's going to kind of rile up the team a little bit for sure. Yeah, maybe Toronto ends up thriving this year and you look back mm. and say, hey, it's, that's a really good Toronto team that Nashville was able to get a point off of. Your reaction, your face, the sound you just made, I agree with it. <laughs> I'm not anticipating not that, no. <laughs> this is a playoff fringe Toronto team at best, uh, I would mm-hmm. say, despite the payroll that they have. Yeah, and, and if Insigne comes back, maybe it changes. But I, this yeah, is yeah. this is a team that is more of the same from last year, essentially. And and I mentioned it last week, man. But Bob is is not uh, is not feeling a, a cool seat. I think if if they don't make the playoffs this year, no, I agree. I, Toronto's not patient, and because they mm-hmm. they invest heavily, I think they are probably the most unheralded um, big payroll team in this league in terms of people. You know, they, you look at LAFC and Atlanta and, and some of those teams is spending a lot of money. Toronto's right there with them in a lot of a lot of years, and this year would certainly qualify. So I agree, and I I think it's disappointing. I think that's it. I think you know most of us left that match saying form over function, but you got neither really uh, in this one. Uh, not 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 the result that you wanted, and not the play that you wanted, at least on one half of mm-hmm. the pitch, but. On that other half of the pitch, things are really good. And again, in the mailbag, we'll talk about the attack. But in the Gold Nuggets, we have to talk about the defensive dominance for this team. As Nashville's allowed just two goals this season in their first seven, one to Cincy, one to New England. The maddening thing, Tim, is that both of them, of course, were 1-0 losses as Nashville has yet to play a game this year. Now seven games in where both teams scored. It's... (laughs) Really appealing for neutrals to hear that stat, I'm sure. Uh, But two goals in seven, the best defensive record in MLS that beat Seattle by one goal. Last year's defensive champion, Philadelphia, allowed 0.76 goals per 90. And while this number is unsustainable, we'll tell you, Nashville currently sits at 0.29 goals per 90. Yeah, unsustainable for you, maybe, I think. Uh, I think... Gary Smith would gladly disagree that it's <laughs> unsustainable. Okay, if no, Nashville yeah, it's, ends it's, up allowing eight goals yeah. in 34 matches, yeah. crown him. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not going to continue, but I think after last year's team tried to be a little bit more open and progressive, uh, this year's team is finding that balance, and Gary Smith always talks about the balance. Whenever whenever his team scores but loses, he he comes out and says, oh, you know, we got the balance off a little bit. <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's like clockwork, but um, finding the balance – you know, I don't know if it's gone too far towards defense. We talked about how this team couldn't score against a Toronto FC team that that hasn't kept a bunch of clean sheets this year. It's something that if it's gone too far in the defensive end, or if it's just a little bit of bad luck, um, the creation numbers <laughs> were terrible on on Saturday night. So it's maybe a little bit more about the about the focus of of what that tactical game plan was. But this is a team that's going to have a strong defensive output over the course of the year, and and it's not going to be zero point two nine per game, but it's going to be very strong. Well, tactically, Tim, I'm fine with leaning toward this side of being imbalanced. I know fans would love to see four goals per match, and there will be matches that we will see that this year, I'm sure. But I think the issue is not tactical. It is, at this point, personnel. It's the strikers not hitting just yet, despite having some chances. It's Randall Leal being out. Maybe he's a missing element that when he comes back, his long shot ability, his ability to, to pick apart the defense and pick a great pass helps. Or maybe it is something where Nashville does just have to add somebody this offseason. I want to clarify, I don't think I really need to clarify, but I want to explain a tweet that I had earlier this week when I said that Nashville's strong defense is giving the club a high floor. I didn't think that was a very controversial or complex statement, but mm-hmm. I got some backlash about the attack and the lack of punch limiting the club's ceiling, which I would also agree with, unless Nashville can can put some more goals in the back of the net and get the job done against teams like Toronto at home, but I think it's not debatable 
that if Nashville is shutting out teams more often than they're not, they don't have to have close to the best attack in the league. And this is still going to be a playoff team if they keep up a strong defensive clip. Yeah, we saw the team that 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 drew the draws record <laughs> a couple of years back and and was was an outstanding Nashville team and, um, you know, obviously did not uh, achieve the MLS Cup of their dreams. But it's something that if if you don't let the other team score, uh, the worst that can happen is you get one point. Right. So uh, more often than not, uh, if you don't let the other team score, you're, you're going to average, you know, two points per game or something like that, depending on how horrible your, your attack is. But it, it's you can you can score a lot of goals and just get destroyed. We saw that with FC Cincinnati uh, a few years ago. I think Nashville would would gladly say if if, if teams can't score on us, that's the way we're going to operate, and and we'll we'll continue to to work the attack over the course of the year. I mean, this is a Toronto team that came in and scored four goals against Nashville last year at Jodas Park. This is a Nashville team that was uh, vilified by those of us you know inside, but also around MLS for set piece concessions that were antithetical to how this team typically plays. So I, I do think they've emphasized that side of the balance and they hope the attack will will come into itself as as the season progresses. And I, I think that's the right approach, mm-hmm. even if we can all be frustrated with the lack of punch in the attack right now. Yeah, absolutely. Joe Willis has been a machine. And I want to talk about this topic of, of who is most responsible for the defense thriving so far this year. Willis and Nashville leading MLS with five clean sheets. Fun stat here. Nashville didn't hit five clean sheets last year until July, match 20. Two of them came against Seattle, uh, and that that fifth clean sheet of the year was at home against Seattle in July. Tim, it seems to me that this defensive run has been attributable first and foremost to Joe Willis's performance in goal. We've seen some defensive lapses, and Joe is come out and made some massive stops not as many against Toronto but certainly in the previous two matches he was he was outstanding uh Nashville outperforming its xg against by 2.7 goals but Tim here's the part where I think the question could be called into doubt a little bit or my answer could be Nashville's xg against is second lowest in MLS just 4.7 mm-hmm. through seven matches so the back line is doing an admirable job limiting those chances as well so I'll ask you you've heard my opinion it's Joe Willis for you who gets the most credit for this defensive performance, the answers both get credit, but who gets the yeah. most credit, Joe or the back line? I mean, if there, if you if you have to look to a single individual, it's obviously Joe. The back line is, is composed of of multiple players, but uh, I think if you're uh, attributing the credit across, you know, multiple guys, um, Joe's Joe's saved this team per American Soccer Analysis. So the numbers are going to be slightly different from what from what you just said, but uh, per American Soccer Analysis, he saved one point five three goals over the course of the season so far obviously has allowed in two that's he's basically allowed in half as many uh 57 as many as as you would expect that's a guy who is is going out and the back line is 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 doing a very very good job <laughs> so they obviously get a lot of credit too but the degree to which he's doing it is so much more impressive i would say at this stage and um you know the the the, <laughs> the positive is that Nashville sc fans don't really have to worry about it right now knock on wood injury wise because they have the back line and they have joe willis uh, for this entire season. Yeah, the trend line to me suggests obviously that the defense deserves a huge amount of credit too, but the individual moments and goals and moments change games point to Joe for sure for me. I, mean, I think you look at a couple of the saves in Orlando, even the since he lost, uh, you know, it's a loss no matter what Joe Willis does because the team didn't score, <laughs> Nashville didn't mm-hmm. score, but but it could have been 3 0 or 4 0 quite easily there. And that's not always going to be reflected in in the XG tally, but 
partially because Joe Willis is coming off his line in some of these cases and making some really yeah. strong plays and reading the game well. Is it his best season so far in goal? Yeah, I think so. It's not uh I think his first year he and the team were kind of figuring each other out. Obviously 2021 was was an outstanding season for both. Um last year there was a big step back. This year, I mean Listen, small sample sizes. I, I'm going to say it once per episode at least. We are not in in the thick of the season quite yet, and he no. has done everything that you could possibly ask, basically. So if he keeps it up, yeah, certainly it'll be his best season so far. But you know, you never you never know if that's if uh, as we project forward that that's going to continue at the same pace. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot, I think, about Joe Willis mm-hmm. and about this defense playing on a baseball diamond this weekend against NYCFC, and then it's LAFC and Atlanta United coming to Geodis Park. And if the defensive record is still close to what uh, it is now at that point, then we're talking about the seeds being planted for a historic defensive season. Still a lot mm-hmm. of action, certainly before that. Speaking of the game at the baseball diamond, City Field, not Yankee Stadium, as I uh, briefly transgressed and uh, messed up <laughs> last week. Uh, NYC is... Uh, I don't know what they are. They're seventh in the table. I don't think they know what they are. I don't think they do either. I I wrote in the rundown, they're still finding themselves. Of course, Nashville beat them 2-0 in the opener. And to that point, before we get into what they've done this year so far, it's a great team, Tim, to get out of the way early in the season, isn't it? Play your two games against them, get done, Mm -hmm. because they have the resources. They have the connections with the City Football Group. They have the scouting ability as well, I think, to be really good eventually, and they're just not there right now. Yeah, I, we mentioned it when we previewed them the first time around that this is the time to be playing New York City FC and, and it, our, our uh, you know, omniscience came true is is that this is this is a team that is not ready to be what it is going to be by the end of the season. And, you know, everybody is assuming and I think we're assuming, too, that they will effectively, you know, they'll figure it out down the road and um city football group is going to you know find them some players the scouting network that they have is is unmatched globally um you know even far far above what red bull can provide for example but it's a situation where if you play them before they finish that roster if you play them before they've kind of figured out you know what they're going to do um in terms of in terms of what their what their center forward or 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 winger situation is going to be for um uh magno it's a situation that that Yes, you would love to have both games against them out of the way early in the year, especially because late in the year, then you can kind of, uh, you know, root for them to take down some other uh, teams around you if if they haven't recovered or if they have recovered, you can you don't have to worry about playing them once they get hot. NYC just above the playoff line, thanks in large part to their ability to secure draws. They've drawn three times. They've lost just once since opening day. But then you look at their schedule. And I think charitable is a charitable way to describe it, honestly. (laughs) Uh, D.C. and Miami at home. Chicago on the road, uh, Houston, who's better this year. We don't know how much better, but they're not top 10 in the league. They've played just two playoff teams from last year at this point, Miami and Nashville. They've also played New England, who I think we would all expect would be a playoff team this year. But other than that, not much. Are they improving or has the schedule just been light? Um, I would say a little bit of each, as as is always the case. It's no yeah. single factor. But yeah, the, the improvement the improvement is is honestly probably less notable than than the the schedule not being that tough uh to be quite honest but um yeah i'll i'll, uh, I'll keep it brief on <laughs> that's fair one more question about nyc city field we don't know the dynamics of that pitch as well as we do yankee stadium but either way a baseball pitch is usually going to be tighter a smaller pitch not as expansive does that favor a team like nashville who is incredibly tough to break down 
Or does the change of pace and the fact that NYC is used to playing on small pitches, is built to play on small pitches, does that actually favor NYC, even as Nashville will probably be a really tough team to break down on a small surface? I don't know. It definitely means that there's less less opportunity for Nashville to to kind of do what they want to do and, and bang the ball wide and counter and, and, and hit in a, a cross on the counter. But it's just also... It, it is going to assist the Nashville defense in terms of making sure that New York City can't play, uh, you know, their their very precise possession game with as much space as they would like to do it against against that back line. The Nashville back line thrives in, in closed down spaces. That's why they play a lower line once teams establish possession in the attacking third. And, um, you know, when there is less space, uh, Nashville is going to be pretty, uh, pretty excited to uh, be able to to get a body on a guy and and make sure that they can't, you know, kind of ticky talk of their way around not sure how this match will go but my one prediction i will make is that this game will be won on a set piece somebody's going to get a set piece opportunity and they're going to capitalize or it'll be scoreless <laughs> yeah, other, yeah i mean I, I i think i predicted a set piece goal uh against toronto last week and it didn't happen and Whoops. no goals happened so <laughs> that is true uh if you have goals by the way for your game day dining experience ml rose is the way to go and we mentioned a minute ago that for road matches that also applies they have apple tv they have the ability to play that with audio um we're, we're assuming they'll have the audio on as well as they had watch parties for us every way, way match last year either way you're going to be able to watch this match so my question for you is this and i know part of it depends on the context of who you're with when you're watching a match at a bar or at a restaurant on tv would you rather be at the bar with a collection of people or be with your people two or three folks in a booth where you have a good tv view what's your preference there uh, it depends. I don't think I'm I'm consistently one or the other. I it depends on how, how I'm feeling. Uh, if I'm watching a game that I'm going to be very nervous about, I like to sit up, sit by myself at the bar. But if it's if it's something that I can just kind of chill and uh, maybe not worry if I miss a, a a play or a pass here and there, I can hang out at the table and, and sit with some friends as well. Yeah, I don't like sitting at a bar for a game I'm nervous about because I don't want to ask. I don't want to answer dumb questions, and that's not like that's not necessarily even a soccer statement. I remember watching the UT Bama game, uh, football game at ML Rose, great spot for it. But then there was somebody next to me who was not as invested as I was. And he's like, Oh, so Bama's won like 15 straight in this series. Huh? Yes. Thank you for the reminder right now. Really appreciate that. bud. um, yeah, I, I would go bar though. Otherwise and for Nashville SC games bar all the way. Uh, so mm-hmm. you can sit next to who you're with, but also make new friends and have conversations. Uh, and ML Rose has both options is my point. If yeah. you sit in the at- at the games that I'm nervous about, I am a nervous drinker, so I drink at a, a rapid pace <laughs> and I need that refill real quick. So having the bartender right there as Hit ML me. Rose is, is so uh, conscientious about making sure they refill that beer is, is always good. I've rarely had to finish my drink before I'm asked if I want another one at ML Rose. They're going to do it in a mm-hmm. responsible way. They're not going to just like ply you with booze, but, but <laughs> they're ready. For, they're attentive is what I mean. Uh, of course, drink responsibly and they will they will make sure everyone there is drinking responsibly. All right, let's get to the mailbag. Um, yeah, you always want to score at home. You know, obviously that's a you know thing that you know been working on. You know, you want to win. You know, with the with a good crowd, you want to take advantage of that. You know, obviously, you know we haven't we haven't you know won the last two games here. You know, we work on that, and hopefully, you know next game we can get three points here. And that sound from Shaq Moore post game talking about, of course, a defender who could be talking about defensive performance, but there is talking about the lack of attack because obviously he's a member of that attack as well and likes to to get forward, even if you know it's not in his job title necessarily. Let's talk striker. Let's talk attack more more broadly as we've covered the good part, the defense. Now the 
um, the weaker part right now, which is Nashville's attack. A couple of questions about striker. Super Wilbur, realistically, who do you guys think NSC could sign in the summer to upgrade the attack AK or via the striker position? Uh, Bryce, love the show. Is it too early to give us a few names of summer signings you all think the clubs should make? Positions of need, any specific targets, either international or intra-league? Hashtag get honey help, uh, which I initially <laughs> read as get any help, which I guess also works pretty well. Tim, I'd like to just play a a bit of a game real fast and pick somebody within the league that in a perfect world you'd like to see added to this team. And we'll say it's somebody who is a tradable asset. So, you know, it's not going to be probably in a Bobasi or a Tiago Almada, you know, somebody who is, you know, an elite either midfielder or forward who you know you're never going to get in trade. Who's somebody you think Nashville could get in a trade domestically who could add to what this team does in the attack? And then an international transfer in an ideal world that you would like to see. And I will steal the one you might say internationally. We've talked about him on the show before in a perfect world, Olivier Giroux on a free transfer coming over from Milan fits everything this club wants to do. The meaty French forehead would be absolutely fantastic. (laughs) The style of play elite, the salary also would be, and is probably prohibitive even if you get him on a free transfer. Yeah. Um, I, I, the Giroud thing makes a lot of sense other than the fact that I don't think that Nashville will spend the required money to, uh, you know, meet his salary demands. People have talked a lot about Roberto Firmino. He's obviously a bit younger than, than Giroud. Um, I don't think he's a guy who, uh, views MLS as more than a retirement league, nor do I think he feels ready to go to a retirement league, but people talk about the, the relationship that he's had in the past, at Liverpool with Ian Eyre when Ian was the, um, I don't know what CFO, CEO, whatever it was at, at Liverpool, whatever the title was at that point. Um, currently the president here, he he's uh, a guy who's, who's a big relationship guy. Again, I, I don't necessarily think that's all that realistic, honestly, but I was actually scouring the, the transfer market to try and find the transfer market. I just gave it a little title there. I like that to try and find guys whose contracts are expiring, but who would also fit under the, the U 22 initiative age range. Uh, There are not a lot (laughs) until, until you get to guys that have very little proven, which is kind of the point of the U 22 initiative as well. But um, some of those, some of those guys, I think the, the club is going to end up finding somebody more in a a Chandra Cadiz type of, of profile who is, a, a big deal, but we don't really know them as a, as a national name. Um, domestically, was Chicho Arango still in the league? Uh, nevertheless. <laughs> but I um, wish I, he was. Yeah. I, I wish he was. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned um, Jeremy Obobese as, as unrealistic. And and while certainly San Jose is, is very happy to have him. Um, and, and he was also very happy to leave Portland. I don't think he's, I don't think he's a guy who's like, you know, stuck forever with San Jose. If we're, you know, sit here and make conjecture about trades that aren't going to happen. Obviously, is is an option for me, but uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I I I think he would be a guy who's such a perfect fit. Um, I, there aren't a ton of guys who are that same amount of fit that are tradable assets because guys who are that are, are the type of fit for what Nashville needs, which is probably a guy who's a very good aerial threat, uh, essentially a, a younger and maybe slightly more technical version of a CJ Sapong. Uh, a, a, a younger playing version of Teal Bunbury, uh, maybe a little bit more aerially dominant than Teal. Those guys, those guys, clubs want to hold on to. So it'd be tough to acquire from in inside the league. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see. We know we talk about the the um, Huntsville City quite a bit, and it'll be interesting to see if a guy like Azad Liadi or even uh, Adem Sipic, the academy kid who's on an academy contract, 
uh, with with Huntsville City is somebody that the club says, hey, you know, you're not going to be the solution at this position, but you can provide some help here. And 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 maybe especially with Sipic, who's who's, you know, we've talked about it. He's going to be Natural SC's first homegrown as long as his his trajectory continues on the path that it's going get a guy some some minutes in MLS if, if that's what it takes and maybe seeing a little bit of competition inspires more out of your CJ Sapongs and Teal Bunbury's of the world. A couple names inside the league I'd be intrigued by. Uh, DeAndre Kerr, Toronto. He is okay. not a season changer, right? He's not going to come in and, and be a guy you count on for double-digit goals. I wonder, though, if he is somebody who you you could bring in once, especially if Insigne sticks around, Bernadeschi yeah. continues to stay healthy, and you know, because Kerr's been the guy that kind of fill in there in Insigne's mm-hmm. absence. If playing time drops for him, if Nashville's able to get him at a decent price, I wonder. Again, yeah. he's not changing your fortunes, but if someone who can supplement and give you a little something different. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, Io Akinola also also of Toronto yeah. has, has yeah. been has been pretty. Uh, I won't say vocal, but he's but he's not been subtle about the fact that he's that he's ready to move on from the club that developed him. Um, he'd be a guy that uh, I don't I, again. I don't know that he's a season changer, but he's I, I would say he's an upgrade for sure. Um, he's a guy who uh, you know you don't need to worry about international slots, even though he's Canadian because he was born in Michigan, um, grew up in Michigan actually until he joined the TFC Academy. Uh, so he's a guy that that would make some sense too. But again, I like. It's going to either be a surprise if it comes from within the league or it's going to be uh, somebody from outside the league that's either mm-hmm. uh, surprising us in terms of how much National SC is willing to pay or surprising us in that it's a name we hadn't <laughs> hadn't really heard yeah. uh, for, for sporting reasons other than for, for transfer room reasons. Which, which is the pattern, going outside the league and bringing somebody in. Uh, one more name. If Giassi's artists were available at 500,000 GAM. I thought about Jassy, but he just moved, so... He just moved, but it's not working out great in Austin. Tactically, yeah. I think we all had questions about how that was going to work, and and so far those questions are being validated. If Austin decides to move him on again, worth it for a reasonable GAM cost, plus obviously the salary he would command. We know Gary Smith respects him. Yeah. Uh, Gary has told us as much publicly, like privately, he's mentioned that. Like he 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 admires Jossie, and and those yeah. comments, by the way, were in past years. I'm not saying we've talked with Gary Smith last week, and he's talking about Jossie, <laughs> nonetheless. He could be a fit for what Nashville does. Do you do you make a move for somebody like that, or do you think Jossie's maybe done at this point? Yeah, I think I think at this point, um, which this was not the case within the past two or three years, he's he's probably not an upgrade on CJ Sapong. So uh, at at a salary pri- at a sal- salary price point that is much higher than CJ Sapong, I don't yeah. think he'd be worth it. That's fair. All right, another question. We've we've seen some buzz this week, purely from Nashville SC fan Twitter. No reporting connected to this. But bringing back Yonder Cadiz on a free transfer in a non-DP spot this summer, I find it funny that Cadiz is now popular after being villainized. People are finally listening to me. That's what it is. <laughs> I know that you are higher on, on Cadiz, and I defended him for a good while there as well in that 21 season. But how is he suddenly popular again? Is it just a name people know, and it would come at a lower price, and people are glorifying what he did do. Eight goals in 27 apps and all comps out in Portugal in 22 and 23, but... Just five goals and 35 appearances for Nashville SC. Salary likely prohibitive. Is there any world in which you could see this making sense? Apart from, I know you're going to defend what he did as being perhaps unheralded in Nashville, but would it make any sense to bring him back? I say no. Um, It depends. It depends on the price point. I don't think his salary be, would be prohibitive. He wasn't on that big of a salary before. He also was out of contract when he left Nashville SC. So I doubt he's making that much money, especially um, guys who are not at like the 
the powers in Portugal don't make as like nearly as much as, as people probably think. Um, so that's a situation where I don't think the salary would be that prohibitive. Yeah. He was only on one point, 1.02 million um, for Nashville. And that's well within the TAM range. And, and we, as we know, Nashville uh, loves to stockpile allocation money. Um, I, I think he gets a bad rap for his on-field performance. And, and for that reason, he'd be a good fit. Not, not as good of an aerial threat as like a six, four, whatever he was uh, height wise guy should be, but um, showed the technical ability and the, and the physical ability to be a game changer. Obviously, his um, his arrival in the midst of a global pandemic made it difficult for him mm-hmm. to make the sort of impact. And then obviously, he, he as we mentioned, I think as recently as last week, went on international duty with Venezuela, uh, contracted the novel coronavirus, and effectively never played for Nashville again. I think in a world where it is not in the midst of a global pandemic, this is a dude who would still be here and he would be extremely popular. Once you're out with Gary, though, you're out. And I'm not suggesting yeah. anything off field there, but I, I think on field, it's, it, there are very rare redemption stories there. Once you're once once you're out, out. And I can't imagine Gary signing off on such a move. Quite honestly, yeah, no, that's that's fair as well. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, without, uh, I think Gary's tune on on what a good striker looks like might have been altered by the the failed Akeloba experience yes. that that might bring a little bit more shine to to Chandra's. <laughs> as much as needs to be said that is that is fair a uh, couple more questions uh this one about the inversion of the wings chris hole and finn both noting that fafa pico and shaffelberg played some on the opposite sides that they played uh this year uh chris hole um uh, said no goals this time but did the strategy work well should we see more of it finn saying he thought neither looked particularly comfortable on the ball in the final third and wondering if them playing on their weak foot side was a contributing factor what'd you see there yeah i think i think uh they both were not as comfortable and that part of that is just because they've played those sides Schaffelberg has almost exclusively played on the left for Nashville um this year Fafa has pretty much exclusively played on the, on the right for Nashville which is his entire Nashville career um historically it, it makes sense to invert both wingers if you're going to play more of a true 4-2-3-1 and it seemed like Nashville wanted to do that drop honey back into that midfield line a little bit more um, consistently. Uh, they play kind of in between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-4-2, usually with Hani playing kind of off of the striker. But if you drop him back, you can possess a little bit more. You have a little bit more uh, of the ability to control the ball. And the problem is that you don't have quite the same amount of verticality. And it's not because of the inversion of the wingers. It is because Schaffelberg and Picot their their personal comfort with the position within Nashville's tactical system, it didn't uh, lend itself well to playing kind of down the wings and, and playing those longer balls to them, playing to their feet um, up the field. And that's something that that if they continued to invert the wingers, I don't think it'd be an issue, um, but it is something that those guys would have to get comfortable with for it to make sense. And obviously the second half they switched back and, and mm-hmm. it was it didn't really change much. So I wouldn't no. say it was, it was problem number one. I like it in theory because it allows your wings to have more of an eye for goal coming inside and, and, you know, and shooting with, with their strong foot as opposed to getting width and then putting yeah. in hopeful crosses. Exactly. I, I like it in theory. Uh, I think it will take more time to try to yeah. work through for sure. Maybe it's a U.S. open cup thing to try out, even if it's not with those two, just tactically uh, where it makes sense to try to, to, you know, work within that system and build yeah. better patterns of play there. Uh, Logan, any more definitive angles of the offside call that seemed to result in a handball against Toronto? Gary Smith uh, gave his thoughts post game. Tim, I, I thought, at least from the angle that we could see, it looked like Nashville was indeed offside by a nose. From from yeah. my perspective, there at least, 
uh, or at least that there was not a definitive angle to to overturn that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I, you know, if it had been the other team um, called for that uh, infraction, I think every fan would say, oh, yeah, absolutely. The 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 evidence is incontrovertible here. It's close enough that there was never going to be an overturn, I think. Um, you know, based on the information that we do have, based on the 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 looks that we got, I do think it probably was offside. I don't think that there's a definitive 100% yes, absolutely, or yes, absolutely, or no, absolutely not. So, uh, Wyatt, what's y'all's favorite food in the stadium? And he says, I know ML Rose is the number one <laughs> outside the stadium. That is my answer. ML Rose is my favorite food in the stadium. It's still in my system when I enter the stadium. He's sneaking it in. <laughs> uh, big empanada fan, actually. Big empanada fan. Yeah. That's it's because it's perfect after ML Rose as like a savory halftime dessert, yeah. if you will. Big fan. Yeah, I so I've I've only been to Geodis Park as a fan one time and I did not get anything to eat, but there's a couple things that I've had not at Geodis Park because they did such a conscientious job. Uh, making sure that they engaged local businesses when they put the mm-hmm. food uh, options in the stadium, La Chivanada, um, the empanada stand that you just mentioned, and then um, Daddy's Dogs as well, best, best, most important neighborhood yes. residents, and also also in um, Geodis Park. If 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 I were to if I were to need to eat uh, <laughs> a consumer food in in Geodis Park, <laughs> that's what I would have. Otherwise, it's uh, I you know they, they cater in the press box, and and I go to Emil Rose before or after games. The press box food is great. I have heard of media members going down into the concession area and getting food and bringing it up to the press box because they like some of that food so much. <laughs> I, I would save my money personally in that situation because the press box food's pretty dang good too, just FYI. But ML Rose first and last and always, no matter what you eat or drink inside the stadium. Uh, he also asks, why does MLS hate Joe Willis? If St. Clair or Galese had the season he's had, then he'd be one of the top stories. There's no hate here, but again, he's a no. victim of his own success. He's a victim of his own. He's been good throughout his time in Nashville. The back line is seen as a unit that's producing. Uh, and Joe Willis is just continuing to not get the love. Yeah, it's unfair. Uh, this is the second week in a row that somebody made the team of the week or the team of the week bench over him, despite allowing a goal. So um, the dude hasn't been on the team of the week since the third week, I want to say, of 2021. It's insane. A dude who has the clean sheets that he does to, to get very little recognition. It did. It, it is what it is. I don't know what he did, but um, he's got he's got uh, he's got not enough, I guess, dirt on, on Don Garber. Maybe Joe said no to the wrong person somewhere along yeah. the way, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. But my prediction is if Nashville earns a clean sheet in New York, he is at least on team of the week bench. He's yeah. got to get a lifetime achievement award. at some. He's got to make saves too, but he's done that and not made team of the week. So yeah, six uh, in Orlando is six uh, against Cincinnati. Still, mm-hmm. still nothing. Uh, last question from Scott, the status on Leal is presence severely missed. I agree. And I think that is a big factor in the attack being a little more stagnant than, than people like, I think again, his long shot ability is going to cause the defense to have to collapse around him, which opens up space inside the 18 especially when you're playing in the final third and not just countering but he's great on the counter too uh the status uh, i think they're optimistic he's going to return yeah. in the coming weeks this is not a long-term absence unless he experiences a setback yeah gary smith mentioned um before saturday's game that that Leal is progressing um, the initial progress was slower than they expected but it's picked up and, and is back on a normal pace they expect him to be available and probably to play in the u.s open cup game against san antonio fc it's obviously a match that um, I don't want to say is less important or less strenuous, but it's one that, um, you know, if you need to make an early sub in that match is less damaging than if it were in a league match. 
And and like you mentioned, Wes, I think he brings a very different dynamic than Fafa and Schaffelberg, who are both speed merchants who have the ability to beat guys on the dribble. They all can beat guys on the dribble. He's not the same sort of speed merchant, and he brings a totally different offensive threat with his shooting that uh, I think Nashville has missed this year more than fans realize. And Wesley Bryant, speaking of U.S. Open Cup, we've got you in a future episode. He asked for our U.S. Open Cup starting lineups. The Open Cup coming up April 25th. So next mm-hmm. week's episode, we will chat about that. Let's move outside in. And uh, not a lot of uh, other MLS talk today. But, Tim, we have a proposal for a uh, for our Rocket City space name. Yeah, this is so much better than what we've been calling it. I, w- I was going to ask for your approval, but it sounds like we have it. Joel, thank you for the suggestion of the launch pad. I love it. it it's it's where, obviously, okay, we'll explain it. We'll explain the joke, just like I try to do with my wife, and it never works, but here it will. <laughs> uh, Nashville launching talent in Huntsville. Huntsville, of course, is Rocket City. There, that was easy enough, I suppose. The launch pad. Not only should that be the name of the segment, Tim, I think it should be the informal name of Joe Davis Stadium in Huntsville, the renovated facility yeah, where they're no, that's good that's a good little uh nickname for it i'm gonna like reach that. out to the club like the castle that. for geodis park for people who think we're trying to rename the stadium we mean a nickname so if you launch successfully from the launch pad you end up in a castle that's the, the metaphors get pretty pretty a castle on <laughs> is it is it like a trebuchet <laughs> Uh, okay, so there you go. The launch pad. The launch pad will be the name of the segment. Uh, and in the launch pad, Nashville actually didn't do as much launching as they did um, staying in orbit, keeping guys in orbit that weren't necessarily uh, in the in the eleven. I don't know. We're gonna lose the last <laughs> year. They I'm gonna let a... you suffer through it. <laughs> uh, the silence was was hard. <laughs> oh man! All right. There were a lot of Nashville SC players who started for Huntsville against Cincinnati. There, we'll go factual. Uh, FCC 2 is a penalty kick shootout win for the um, the boys in blue, uh, but many of them were boys in gold. Listen to who started. Taylor Washington, Josh Bauer, Ahmed Longmire, Jan Gregush, Ryan Anunga, Elliot Panico. Not surprised to see Panico there. I think Nashville's going to get him a lot of minutes there. Longmire on a senior, you know, roster but he's in Huntsville right now so no surprise there Taylor Washington though Bauer coming in and getting some minutes Jan Gregush especially I think a bit surprising especially with Nashville having some of those guys on the bench the day before yeah when Nashville does have or when Huntsville does have Friday or Sunday matches is this something we can expect to see often or do you think this was a a one-off at this stage of the season where guys legs are pretty fresh and Nashville just wants to get some players some minutes yeah, it really depends on the situation because um, this was a group of guys who, uh, you know, were in Nashville and then um, Cincinnati is not, is not that far away. They, they didn't even have to cross the Ohio River because Cincinnati FC, uh, yeah, Cincinnati, FC Cincinnati, yeah, FC Cincinnati too, plays in Northern Kentucky. They play at the, the home of the Norse, the NKU Norse or Norse men. I don't know. But uh, I asked Jack Collison after the game, I was like, hey, how, how much training time did you guys have? with with these first team players and he said they got to the to the game an hour before it <laughs> and, and then they were and then they were in my team um so that kind of really tells you that when nashville has the opportunity to to really plan it out even a little bit more they will they will take advantage of that and that's i think what they should do this is not yet a club that needs to get a ton of academy guys minutes and so the best way to utilize 
Huntsville City FC is to, yes, develop some of the guys who are currently on their roster, but make sure you're getting competitive game minutes. I mean, Taylor Washington has played significantly this year. Mm-hmm. He's going to continue playing significantly this year. You don't want him to go a weekend off where you thought you might need him off the bench um, and you, you ultimately did not. You might as well give him the time with Huntsville City. Um, I, I'm not sure what the rules are in the USL uh, B team era. You could not have a guy on the bench for for both games or he he could not be in both squads in the same weekend i clearly that's not the case because panico's right. been on the bench twice and started and yep. and washington was on the bench and and started for huntsville city i don't i don't know if like if washington got in for like a you know a couple minutes at the end of the game if he would have been eligible to play for huntsville it's not explicitly mm-hmm. um you know stated in the rules but that's something to keep in mind too is, is nashville can't plan too much if you know dan lovis gets a red card or whatever and 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 washington needs to play could he not then play for Huntsville the next day? I don't, I honestly don't know the answer. I'll have to ask actually, but some of these situations are, are obviously planned, but can't be planned too much. You never know how it'll work out. We're still in big time learning mode. A couple of notes, uh, Sean Suber with the uh, game winning piddly kick for Huntsville and Elliot Panico saves two PKs in eight attempted against him in an extended sudden death uh, PK shootout. Uh, so Panico earns Huntsville's second PK shootout win in their young history and just a note again for those who who care about the Huntsville results uh, just because you see a bunch of senior players coming up to play doesn't necessarily mean the result's going to be amazing because as Tim just said these guys got to the to the pitch right around the time lineups were coming out so uh, it good good certainly never gonna be a bad thing to have those senior players in your squad and to help the younger guys develop as a result of their presence but don't expect it to always translate into results like the Rapids played like half their starting lineup during yeah. international break uh, for their mm-hmm. next pro team, including Zardis and lost uh, last year once. And again, and um, as much as, as Huntsville city wants to win games, once they take the pitch um, that's true, regardless of who they put out there, the goal for like an Elliot Panico is not necessarily, I need to go out here and, and, you know, give, you know, give everything for the crest. <laughs> his goal, his goal is to, to face some shots, get some minutes, stay fresh. So as we move to the final whistle, I want to give uh, a content recommendation actually related to Huntsville. There was a nice article in the Sports Business Journal this week that uh, interviewed Ian Ayer about Nashville SC's approach off the pitch to Huntsville. It's rare, uh, in fact, unprecedented, I believe, for a next pro team to not be based in the same market as the senior mm-hmm. squad. We saw, of course, Rochester, New York FC play one season as an independent next pro team and then Fold, uh, I think if they kept the Rhino's name, they might still be alive today, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, it was interesting, though, to, to hear Ian Air speak about some of the, to use the buzzword, synergy that Nashville's trying to achieve by having some senior organizational staff also working with Huntsville, but also a staff of 20 and to be more than that actually based in Huntsville as well. And to try to be profitable with this instead of making it just a line in the expense column, trying to actually make some money off this Huntsville team by having a standalone team in a city around two hours away. Tim, I thought it was really interesting. And uh, I don't know if this team's going to be profitable. I don't know if that arrangement is always ideal for everyone involved with the senior club. Uh, but I think it is an interesting experiment. And, and according to the article, there are other MLS teams watching this very closely to see if it's something they might want to replicate. Yeah, it's it's there are no easy answers in in kind of the soccer ecosystem in terms of the best way to to utilize a team like that for development. 
Um, we saw Philadelphia Union um, buy the Bethlehem Steel and then ultimately move them to Philadelphia and call them Philadelphia Union too. And we've seen teams that haven't been able to find the balance of, okay, is this an entertainment product for fans to, to buy tickets and go watch? Or is it a, a developmental tool and nothing more, effectively a reserve league? Um, Nashville is is doing enough. We just talked about how, how they're how they are doing a lot to to do the former they're they're or the, the latter they're they're getting minutes for some of their guys but they want this to be an actual franchise and, and the article goes into this is not this is not just a Nashville SC development product it is a a team that people in Huntsville can and should be proud of and, and we're hoping to be successful so I thought that was really interesting. I don't have any content recommendations of my own. I'm glad you brought that one up though, because it's a good article. <laughs> glad you are content with my content recommendation. And also that pun notwithstanding, it's a good way to develop a new market of fans for Nashville. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're under any illusion that there are caravans of people coming up from Huntsville for every home match. But over the long term, as these academy players and as these, you know, second second level players make their way up to Nashville, it creates some bonds because we know that there's no bond between fan and player quite like what you see, uh, especially in, in lower level American soccer and lower, lower level soccer internationally. And so I think it does bring a a, a legion of, of people, uh, legions in Birmingham, actually, uh, that care about your club and are willing to make that quick drive up occasionally, a la, you know, the Bakers that we know doing that from Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. I think there's a yeah. market for folks to do that. Any final thoughts before we head on for another week? No, just uh, very happy to uh, be able to get back at it. Our, our schedule's been a little bit wonky the last couple of weeks, so thanks My everybody for, for bearing with us a bit. And uh, so, if if you can uh, if you can abide that, please uh, tell a friend, rate, review, subscribe, the usual things that everybody asks, uh, asks you to do at the end of a podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Share the share the episodes on on your social media platform of choice as well. It really helps us helps people find us. Yeah, thanks for bearing with my weird work schedule. Thanks to you, Tim, uh, but also to uh, to our listeners. You're welcome. Uh, it's always great to have people reaching out, like, hey, when's the show going to air? But we don't want to do that to you very often. Next week, regularly scheduled time, Tuesday morning, you can catch us. And uh, we look forward to catching you then. Yeah.